Hello, and welcome to our Season of Creation episodes of Prophetic Voices, Preaching and Teaching Beloved Community, a podcast from the Episcopal Church's Office of Reconciliation, Justice, and Creation Care, where we explore the season and the lectionary through the lens of social justice. I'm your host, Reverend Shaniqua, Staff Officer for Racial Reconciliation, and I'm so glad you could join us. In this episode of Prophetic Voices, we'll be discussing the lectionary for Sunday, September 10th, Proper 18. Our awesome guests this week are the effervescent Katie Ruth, who is the Executive Director of Pennsylvania Interfaith Power and Light. They also serve as the convener of the Creation Care Committee in the Diocese of Central Pennsylvania. The Reverend Kathleen Plummer, who is the current vicar of the Good Shepherd Mission in Fort Defiance, Arizona. Originally from Bluff, Utah, Kathleen enjoys time with her cats, Lance and Crybaby. And last but not least, the Reverend Melanie Mullen, who serves as the Episcopal Church's Director of Reconciliation, Justice, and Creation Care. She works to bring the Jesus movement to the concerns of the world. Welcome, friends. Thank you so much for being willing to be here. Why should we as Episcopalians care about Season of Creation, or why should Creation Care be important for us? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because I don't know that so many of us really even know about the Season of Creation. It's been over a decade when all of the Anglican churches have been a part of a worldwide Christian church movement and agreement that would all do it together. Lutheran, Roman Catholic, all sorts of reformed churches. So a global movement of Christians taking this time to focus on creation. And I just think I mean, that right there is outstanding that we've been called to be in accord with all of our siblings around the world thinking about this. Yeah, I really like what Melanie highlights and just like this intentionality about it. So both being in global community together, but also it's not like creation care shouldn't be part of our lives or work or focus any other time of the year. It's just kind of a time to take this maybe a little more seriously or like convene our focus a little more specifically and do that together in community, which we know is really powerful. I agree with what all you said. I was thinking mostly about what's going on with the world right now, with Maui being on fire with all the wildfires and all that. It just really focused me in on what I'm doing right now, what how I'm lacking in all of this. And all my community here in Navajo and don't even take for granted the climate change here, everything that's changing, the methane problems we have and all that. So. It's just a real big eye-opener what's going on in Maui and the prayers, the offerings that need to be made to that. And we need to bring all that back as Native Americans. That's always on our mind. I know we we have in the Neh culture, we don't call ourselves Navajo, call ourselves the Neh. Every morning we give an offering to Mother Earth. Well, in our case, as the Neh. We call her Astanadlehe, changing woman. And just give our offering to her about what we're trying to deal with from day to day. And I think that really, really needs to be a teaching in the church somehow. Just by sharing what I know about it, I guess, is a way. And other people, other people, Native cultures, how they deal with what's going on with the earth right now. Because she is hurting. She is in pain. Let's talk a little bit about the gospel. This is that one about the conflict, right? Where it's like, if someone sins against you, you do this and blah, blah, blah. And I've heard this preached many different times about conflict in the church, but how might we preach about this in terms of sin against creation? 
I think that's actually like a really powerful question. And when I saw that this was the assigned reading for this week, I kind of got a little smile because like essentially in this passage and like in the stories right before it, Jesus is talking about right relationship. And so often when we're Mm. talking about our relationship, we really only focus on our human to human interactions. As we think about this text in the context of creation care, we can think about our relationship with the wider community of beings that we find ourselves as part of this interconnected ecosystem. I also just think it's fascinating that Jesus teaches us how to organize. So as someone who is an organizer and an advocate, the thing that I really enjoy about this particular story is Jesus kind of inviting us to think about how we organize our communities to be in right relationship. I like that. Because I always think about this as either Ahada in conflicts, or um, I love this idea of like allyship. It's sort of extreme allyship. I heard to say that like whatever you bind yourself to in your lifetime can be that which you spend your life fighting for. And um, this is like wonderful story of this Lutheran pastor back in the 30s. He was a Southern, a white Southern lawyer and encountered some African-Americans who were wrongly accused of a crime and tried to stop the lynching. And although he was able to stop an immediate lynching, this is like in 31, um, eventually they went to court and were convicted of a crime they did not commit. And these young African-Americans were eventually killed. But this idea that spiritually he felt that he had bound himself to this global struggle, Mm. the binding, the losing of yourself is a type of like allyship in community that goes maybe beyond one's whole lifetime. And so you were talking about the personness of our creation and our earth and Navajo land. We could bind ourselves to our allyship with the earth in this way as well. Um, just like a lot of possibility there for thinking about the gospel. Mm. So you talk about binding or loosing, and I know it says that in the gospel. What things need to be bound or loosed for us right now? So my first reaction or thought is, where do we even start? There's so much grief and so much loss. We're seeing, you know, extreme heat, wildfires, melting ice caps, state violence against people who are speaking up against those issues. Hmm. And so I think there's a lot of grief. There's a lot of loss. There's a lot of transition. But I also don't want to lose in the midst of that all of the beautiful stories of good things that are happening to the ways that we are tending and paying attention to what is happening at a global scale. And so when I think about what's binding and loosing, where I want to go with that metaphor is how do we take ourselves out of the system that insists on all of us making everything so immediate and how do we invite ourselves to be present with creation to listen for it and allow it to lead us into the places of flourishing and thriving off the top of my head (laughs) i was asking my mom about she was asking what i was doing today and i told her about what i was going to be doing with here with the podcast and she was like so what what is that? What I never heard of that. I never heard of season and creation. I didn't even know the church does something like that. Because for us, it's just something we already do because, of, like I said, with our prayers. And I think that's what she was thinking about. And then she goes, well, I think the answer is that we really need to bind up Donald Trump. And everything will be at peace again. Everything will be at flow again. <laughs> I just started like, oh, mom. <laughs> It's something about binding what 
other evils are going on in the world, finding that just everyday life, the things you think like, I don't need to worry about that. I don't need to, I don't need to fix that right now. But those small little things that come in our heads is the small little evil things we think. I think that's how evil comes in. And I hate talking this way, but <laughs> I think about it all the time, like recycling, doing things that are easy to do that we learn back in elementary school to save the earth and all this stuff. And it's hard. It's hard to keep up with that kind of thinking all the time. And there is a binding that needs to be done around that. There needs to be some kind of binding around those evil thoughts we have and laziness. I guess that's what it is. Laziness. I'm wondering about like binding and loosing as I was thinking about it is like, you know, sometimes if we're not connected to the earth, then it's easy for us to forget about it. And maybe we need to be bound more to how we think about it and our connection with it, right? Like how much time do we spend in nature and, and noticing things? And I know for a lot of indigenous folks, they hunt or fish or gather at different times and they can see that, oh, like it used to be that this particular bird came in at this season to know that that meant that we were supposed to do this thing. But now because of climate change, these birds are coming later. And so when we go out to pick that thing, it's not there anymore. It's already done growing or whatever. But they notice it because they're so connected, whereas we might only notice if there's a big storm or we might only notice if there's, you know, the once in every hundred year type of event, even though those seem to be happening way more than they did in the past. If we're closer to it, we can hear or listen. It'd be like trying to have a conversation with somebody that's in another house versus if they're in the room with you, right? If you're there present, you can. But when I think about like your question, like what are we binding and losing these kind of archaic terms? It's the only time I think I find this little bit of Romans, that 13th passage really helpful because the idea that like we could be bound and probably are without our realizing it to empire, to mm. corporate structures, to sort of our own kind of commercial reality. And I can just imagine Paul with those early Christians sort of saying, stop taking that for granted. Like look around and see where you're already, you know, committed to a lifestyle that's not paying attention to the earth, that's not thinking about your neighbor. Um, in which case, that's what we need to be loosed from all these expectations of how we think about resources and how we only think about our own little corner of this earth and that we're not really connected. There's some, some awareness that we all need to bring to the table too. Hmm. I was thinking about, like, when I read the Paul thing, the thing that really stuck out for me was when he says it's time to wake from sleep. And I feel like we've kind of been asleep on the idea of creation care for so long. But at the same time, I really struggle because when you start thinking about it, you can get depressed and overwhelmed. And so it's like, how do we... And then you just want to sleep, right? Like when I get depressed and overwhelmed, I just want to sleep and go to bed and not get out. And so how do we sort of follow Paul's call to be awake without allowing it to sort of weigh us down too much? Or, or where is that balance in there? I think what you highlight about balance is really sticking out to me. So when the season of creation was first announced and they shared that the theme was going to be to let peace and justice flow, I think oftentimes where we go with that passage straight away is to like, the peace and the justice part. But I think what really stood out to me this time around was flow. Are there ways that we can build ease and delight and pleasure and joy 
into this holy work that we are called to. That speaks to something a little bit of this balance that you're referencing. Like, how do we stay awake, but not be like distraught and alarmed, even though like there's good reason for us to be like these life-giving practices that we have in our tradition. Maybe they help us to find grounding and hope even in the middle of what feels like impossible to overcome. Mm -hmm. Right. And perhaps the way that peace and justice comes is not just through the push and the struggle, but also through letting that actually just flow in and through us and then out into our communities. Hmm. When you say woke, I'm like, yeah, to stay awake is to be woke. And that's, hmm. that's holding things into some tension. It's not not being aware of what's broken in the world, but it's also to stay focused and aware of that overwhelming sense of love that brings us here, this self-emptying scene that we've seen Jesus on a cross. So things might be bad and dark at some point, but yeah, I love that. We stay in the flow. We stay woke on our mission and we're going to be bound to this journey with Jesus. So hopefully that will give us hope. I sometimes try and find the wins or the things like what's ripening for like working on. If you notice a lot of people really energized around something, maybe think about that and consider that a win, even if all you do is set up a meeting where the folks begin to talk or this last weekend, I did a culture camp with a bunch of Lakota, Dakota children. Um, and we got to show them how to put up a teepee. And we got it like it was all it was very beautiful. And they were so excited to learn. And we did a bunch of other cultural things. But I just was like, that's a win, right? Because then we're connecting them to the earth and the way we used to live a long time ago and the outside. Paul also talks about I always struggle when they use this darkness and lightness metaphors. But he said, let us lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. What would a creation care armor of light look like? I think going back to your question about balance, it would be something that is balanced. A celebration of light in a way that also incorporates darkness or has space for both. Like holding all of the potential of what we could be together. The language even of armor, I think I'm like struggling to connect with. I love to think of like ecological metaphors so I'm like sitting here thinking about what would it be like for us to think about it more like a turtle shell or something that we know is like a more natural part of the world that we share mm. and provides a source of protection but is also not so overtly violent what does it mean that our first instinct is to run to like a language of armor and maybe there's a need for it because I mean certainly when we talk about like climate change and our work to build a better world. There are a lot of like evil forces that <laughs> we need to be protected from, right? But yeah, even just the metaphor and the language there, I think requires like attention or tending to. Talking about balance, uh, Reverend Cornelia Arcanon, the ordinary here at ECN, she always talks about her jean. Her jean is uh, our word for shalom. I keep saying that, but my mom keeps saying, no, no, it's more than that. It's unity, it's harmony, it's peace, and everything that encompasses that. In order for you to be in balance, you have to have both a light side and a dark side. No one's perfect. Nobody can be as perfect as Jesus or whatever you think is a higher being. No one is perfect as that. So in our daily lives as the now we always uh, incorporate that into our prayers that we don't know everything we don't do everything right all the time and you're constantly in this battle with yourself of 
I can do better. I'm worse at this. And you're constantly trying to figure out who you are as a person. You're just trying to create that balance. And when you do not figure out, you get sick, your body gets sick. There's all these things you have to go to. You have to go to a medicine man and the medicine man will do a diagnosis like a doctor would do in a regular hospital and tell you this is what's wrong with you. So you got to go have this ceremony and that's the cure for the illness is to do this whole ceremony, whatever it involves. And it's costly these days. And so you have to have all that in balance. That's just the way we live out here. That's just the way the Neh live. And it's a lot. It's stressful everyday living like that. And I'm not saying we're perfect. I mean, when we get in balance again, we're not perfect again. We still have what we had before carrying it on, but being better at it, being stronger with it, being enduring with it. Hmm. That really resonates with me. Thank you so much because I see the tension between thinking, oh, we don't want to be using violent, non-earth-based or natural metaphors, but in reality, for so much of our world, so many of our siblings are living in a, a spiritual, if not a physical kind of battle every day. And so how do we think about like this caring for the earth and for a God that created us in care with the earth and hold that reality. And so I love what you were saying about the cleanup about there is this balance between this light and this dark, or sometimes there is a warfare. For me, the resolution comes, oh, ironically, right back to Paul, this sense that, I mean, God's overwhelming goal is this peace, this overwhelming love of all created, all of our siblings be at one another with the earth. I mean, for me, that sense of hope that I think is the work of anybody who's going to be proclaiming this message is to help people realize that God, in the end, really does hope we get to that point of peace, of mm. reparation with the world, with hope. But it could be a work, I think, for us to find it, even in the midst of darkness or strife or contention. And I think that's like exactly what is happening in like the Ezekiel passage too, right? Like God is very clear. I have no pleasure even in the death of like the wicked one, right? Like spends all this time trying to say like how important it is to pursue righteousness and not be wicked. But then like at the very end, just throws in there. And by the way, I also don't want the wicked person to die. My vision of flourishing, my vision of care, my vision of like a world made right has everybody in it. If not, that's going to make me sad. God becomes a little human, like a little understandable. Like I can imagine how God feels in this passage when God is like, I just want you to do the right thing to live in right relationship with each other. I don't have any pleasure out of the death and the killing and the cycle that takes us out of this ability to be in right relationship with each other. Hmm. I could only think about creation care, especially when I think about climate change and environmental destruction, knowing that God wants the world to be healed. I can't find hope in just let's not think about it at all, but knowing that God wants us to help the world be healed and so that we can all live and thrive. Yeah, I love that. God does not want us to suffer or the earth to suffer and die. I was thinking about what is the armor protecting us from and maybe framing it that way. And then I was thinking about like, what is the armor? And I'm thinking the armor is relationship and right relationship, right? Because we have so many people, small communities, when we have environmental racism, for example, 
if you look at some of the pipelines and reservations or some of the toxic waste sites and things that are always near communities in poverty, the more relationships they have, then the more power they have to prevent this negative stuff from happening. And so that relationship and right relationship maybe is a way of thinking of that armor. With Ezekiel, one of the things that I had anxiety about maybe with Ezekiel is God's like, you need to warn them. And if you don't warn them, like their destruction is on you kind of thing. Do you think that we've warned folks enough? And how might we do that in another way? I think that shame is a motivator, but it's a bad motivator <laughs> mm. in the sense that it sometimes pushes us forward a little bit, but I don't think it gets us to the goals, like the goals that we're talking about of like building beloved community, for example, shame is only going to get us so far. Mm-hmm. Not that there isn't a space for accountability and reconciliation and the building and rebuilding of trust and relationships. That's really important. And sometimes people will conflate that with feelings of like shame or guilt this particular passage in Ezekiel where it's like, it's on you if you don't do it. I like to think about it more is more about like, what is my responsibility and my role? What am I responsible for? As opposed to how someone else's interactions, that's kind of their responsibility for one of better language. Hmm. So maybe like, What God is saying here is like, Ezekiel, I have called you to this, (laughs) to -hmm. do this work to tell. If you don't fulfill that responsibility, I'm going to have words. (laughs) But the way that we've been conditioned to read it is then, well, their blood is on your hands. But maybe that's not God's point. Mm -hmm. God is trying to build a relationship with Ezekiel. That's just part of the narrative of the story. In that Ezekiel passage, I feel like most people know about climate change and the damage our like consumption and fossil fuel use and resource extraction are doing. And then it talks about dying in our iniquity. What does that look like to you? What do you think about that? When I think about words like wickedness or iniquity, I often wonder like what people mean by those things, (laughs) like starting with a definition of what is wickedness and what is iniquity. You mentioned earlier, like environmental racism and the fact that climate change disproportionately impacts communities that are already overburdened. Mm -hmm. Starting by defining (laughs) the terms within this particular passage, like, well, who is the wicked one? And what does it mean to die in that? We could talk about even beyond individual ideas of sin to like more collective ways of talking about, you know, fossil fuel interests and corporate greed. And even our church as an institution asking ourselves in what ways do we contribute or are we part of the solution, right? Comes into this question of thinking about wickedness and iniquity and then also righteous behavior too. Hmm. This passage is heavy on the, you know, the Hebrew, ata, you, you, you. I mean, if God is calling a you for some reason, it's got to be about relationship between mm. the hearer and God. And so I think suffering and in our iniquity, yeah, there's a lot of places where these ancient Israelites um, had false complacency. They were sinful and showed a broken relationship. Yeah, I'm with Katie here. I hope that there is also, if God is mirroring relationship, there's hope in that as well the repair of relationship between a people and a God, uh, our people and our God could be mirrored in people with each other um, and with the earth. Um, and that's the basis of what we think is like the Christians is reconciliation is, you know, repairing our relationship to the whole. There's hope in that, but yeah, I hope that we're mirroring right relationship as a way out of sin and death. 
even with the earth and our blind use of it or abuse of it. I see hope perhaps in this Ezekiel passage is that it's not a done deal. It's not God coming to Ezekiel and saying, go tell, because sometimes that happens in the prophets. God's like, go and tell these people that they're done for, you know, that like they did the wrong thing and there are going to be consequences. In this case, we see God telling Ezekiel to tell people to become part of this new vision of community and doing things in a different kind of way. What is heavy on my mind right now as we're talking about all this is I'm probably going to be repeating what Leon has probably already talked about. He said he was on last week. Right now, the Episcopal Church in Navajo Land is dealing with a environmental thing with St. Christopher's in Bluff, Utah, which is where me and Leon come from. Their aquifer system is being threatened, compromised by a fossil fuel company that wants to move in and start fracking and maybe other things. There's there's a lot we don't really understand with it, with what's going to happen. And next week is a town meeting on this. And I can't help but think of how for granted we took our well system, our last remaining mm. pure well system there in St. Christopher's. And now it's being threatened, taken away from us, even having us pushed out of the city of Bluff because of it so that people can gain access to it, more to it, and so that it can be completely dry, completely used up and not aware of it all this time until this is going on and everyone's trying to get together and figure out how we can fix this, how we can all get to this town meeting and say what we want to say. And then you have all these higher ups, the lawyers and stuff telling you, don't say this, you're, you're going to ruin it. You're going to ruin what we're trying to do. Don't go in there not knowing what you're going to say, because this is a very, very corporate system, very high up there, have a lot of lawyers themselves and can probably overcome us real easily in a swift judgment made. So I don't, it's just all anxiety all the time. What's going to happen to that well, that aquifer that we have? As you're saying that, Kathleen, I'm thinking about the definition of wickedness that you had asked about, Katie. And I'm one of the things that I was thinking about, like, obviously, that's, you know, when you don't think about others. And I was thinking maybe a definition of wickedness, at least from like a Lakota perspective, and maybe an indigenous one, because we're so community based is selfishness, or thinking only of oneself, right? And one of the biggest insults you can give to someone in our culture is to say, you act as though you have no family. And you know, when we think we only love money or we only love consumption or we only love the things that we have, then that could be part of that acting like you have no family. And if we can see each other as related, just like this corporation that wants to frack the well, they don't realize that Kathleen and your church is a part of their family and that they have the relationship there. They don't see it. And so they're kind of blind in that way. And maybe armor could be, sorry, I'm moving all over the readings, but maybe armor could be that planning, right? Because it's like, you know, this all came up so fast and the planning and then the awakeness could be, how are we watching to see when something is coming? Like if we know something is coming and we can start planning for it. Thank you, Kathleen, for sharing that. Leon did share that too, but I think it's important because it happens so often. And it's often these communities that 
don't always have the resources or the ability or, you know, the community to come around and really support them to jump around it. But that's our job, right? We can do that. We can be your family and come around and support you in some different ways. That story has been so moving to me. And we've heard that a couple of times in our creation care work as a church, wondering how we can support your community getting ready for this big fight, right? This big conflict um, and hearing that the corporation can be like the new the colonialist empire, the new mm. Roman empire. It's got the values that can consume. <laughs> I love that. Shaniqua has no family. And then perhaps turning on its head this call from the gospel to learn how to organize. Right. Uh, to bind each other up and get ready to witness and speak. And that is all the care of the earth. That is what Creation Care is hoping will do. That armor of light might be your press talking points. But yeah. Uh, we are ready, getting ready to do the sort of work and this new incarnation of what is colonialism run rampant over the earth we share right now. So let's talk about Exodus a little bit. I feel like we kind of fly in through the lectionaries and I know you either do Ezekiel or Exodus, but this always is very interesting to me, this story. And I'm wondering, you know, it talks about sacrificing a sheep or a lamb for each family who or what are the sheep that we metaphorically sacrifice, either as a church or maybe as a society? And I'm wondering, like this, obviously this company is trying to sacrifice your church, Kevlina, and your aquifer as the sheep. But what are some other things that you think we sacrifice? This is a great place that I'm glad this is going to come up during season of creation, because thinking about ecological justice and eco-justice, those disciplines give us a lot of ways to think about literally sacrifice zones and sacrifice communities. That is the actual word to talk about Mm. neighborhoods and towns and places that are just outside of our tax care, our voting care, you know, where the state does not care enough, where people are sacrificed. Neighborhoods that are usually by people of color predominantly, but Mm -hmm. plants near waste places. They are actually called sacrifice zones. And if we look on the map that we can see on the EpiscopalChurch.org website, you can actually see where are sacrifice zones and sacrifice people and how do we ignore them over and over again. So I'm also wondering about like this, they talk about, you know, placing the blood on the doors and the lintels as a way of preventing the death sort of to coming over these people what metaphorical blood do we put on our lentils and what does that mean? And I thought maybe it could be talking about like greenwashing, but what do you all think? What is greenwashing? How long do you have? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's also different forms of greenwashing too. Some of it happens maybe unintentionally or is well-intentioned. And then there are others that are much more maybe pernicious and intentional campaigns to misinform and harm communities or create a, a sense of complacency. My full-time job is kind of in this work. And so it's really interesting based on the conversations I have during any given week, my computer is always listening to me. And so then I get targeted ads around those topics that I've been talking about. And so I get to watch firsthand a lot of like the dis and misinformation that happens through like sustainability campaigns or big corporate commercials where they're like, we're reducing this carbon footprint that we have, but they're not telling you the story of how they're reducing that carbon footprint and the kind of cost that it's coming. Again, these sacrifice communities and these sacrifice zones. Hmm. 
So that's immediately where I go when I start thinking about greenwashing is even the unintentional ways that maybe when we're talking about creation care, sometimes it gets really easy to like, be like, okay, well, let's start a recycling program, which can be a great thing for your community, or let's plant some trees, right? But if it doesn't come with also thinking about our interconnected Episcopal communities, right? Like what's happening right now with you, Rev. Kathleen, how we are all interconnected and responsible to each other. And that is a form of creation care and practice too, that seeking of justice and asking how do we lock arms together and fight this fight together. And I think that's one of the most difficult things about greenwashing is that it gets in the way and makes it noisy. So there's less clarity around what our calling should actually be. That's great and generous because we don't want people to not recycle, (laughs) but to use it as like that gets in the way, assuming that we're going to stop our Exodus journey in the wilderness and not get all the way to Canaan. (laughs) We're Mm. we're just going to like change our light bulbs and be dead, maybe get a green car and then not really do the hard work that can't be done alone of like going after like the corporations, the large state entities that are not just one person throwing out plastic, but are the things that are really causing harm to our people. Um, one of the things that really, um, really make me think too is uh, a lot of people think the reservation needs a lot of things for the person that needs help. And we don't really feel that way. I know Leon always used the example of a grandma going to her house and seeing that she doesn't have a TV, she doesn't have a cell phone. And this person, missionary, probably, says that, oh grandma you're you're in poverty you're you're poor and you don't have a tv you don't have a cell phone you don't have a and so she automatically puts that upon herself that oh i'm poverty i'm poor um i think i hate to say is what the wider church really thinks of us because we're constantly getting clothes food things like that that just overwhelms us and i'm not saying we don't appreciate it we very 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 much appreciate all that we have been given through the pandemic and all the help we got with everything that was going on here uh, high rates of covid and deaths and things and so we have this accumulation of clothing and i'm really really trying to think of what else we could do with it because we've done giveaways giveaways and is still a lot of clothes left over and maybe we just start preaching about creation care and that there's all this clothes that we have here why don't we build a quilt out of it why don't we do something together out of it Hmm. and show our appreciation back to our partners our mission partners with it make quilts for them send it to them put our names on it stuff like that so i that's kind of what I'm thinking of. That's a great idea. We've made quilts out of our camp t-shirts in South Dakota. And we also have that same situation, Kathleen, where everybody's like, they talk about like the poverty that we have. And that's true. Like we have like economic poverty, but something that I think we have in our communities because we're so relational is we have community wealth in the sense of that we are all connected. If something happens to one of our priests, all the other ones will come into that community and come and help. Or if there's something that goes on, we can put together 
a potluck, like nobody's business where like the other churches are like, who are we getting to cater and what venue are we going to use? And it's just like, let me call grandma Sarah and auntie Joan and they're going to make the, you know, fry bread and the potato salad and we're going to have it together and we could get it together in like a couple hours versus, you know, having to plan months ahead of time. And again, I think what you're both highlighting brings us back to this theme and these texts that's emerging, right? Which is the importance of relationship. Mm. I'm in relationship and community. I'm going to hear what the needs are and maybe not just make assumptions, right? About what your community looks like, what it needs, what it should have. But I can learn from you and be like, oh, do you need legal representation, right? Like, is that the need your community has at this moment? Or maybe there's no need at all. Relationships are not just based on need. They're based on relational proximity, right? So like, let's enjoy a potluck meal together. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let's come together and learn and share and engage and communicate with this piece of land that we're all sitting on together. Like, what can this land teach us, right? I don't think relationship has to always be transactional. And maybe that's what this text is inviting us into is like moving beyond that kind of transactional framework for relationship to actually doing the hard work of sitting in community together. Hmm. So I'm going to go back to the gospel for a moment. One of the questions I had, right? So it's like, if you have this conflict, you talk to the person. And then if not, then you bring a friend and talk to them. And if not, you bring them into the church and talk to them. But then it's like, if they don't listen to any of those things, it's like, treat them as a Gentile or a tax collector. And in other words, don't even kind of be in relationship with them, which is kind of the opposite of kind of what we've been talking about, or at least don't be in any kind of deep relationship. But at the same time, it almost is like we're giving up. That's kind of the sense as I read it. I'm sure that's not necessarily what Jesus meant, but how would you interpret this or what is it that we're being called to when we aren't heard by any of those things? I think that relationship still exists in the story, even when it goes to the drastic measure of let them be to you like a Gentile and a tax collector. And we can talk about how problematic those two categories are, how exclusionary Mm -hmm. (laughs) that is. But beyond that, I think the sentiment is still, they still lived in integrated community, right? Gentiles and tax collectors mm-hmm. and Christian communities and Jewish folks were all together in these communities living. So it's not like, okay, now you can just go and be part of this other community. There's a lot more maybe interconnection or interplay between those things. And so the command from Jesus is like, well, then let them be like a Gentile and a tax collector. Maybe Jesus is saying, is trying to say something about the value that they're bringing to the community. If we go back to the Ezekiel text, this sense of like wickedness, mm-hmm. right? And living in your own iniquity or being left to your own iniquity. So maybe Jesus is kind of pulling on that same idea or thread of like, kind of leave them to their own devices. But when you're outside of the protection of community, you're outside of the protection of community. Also, you don't exist in community the same way. There is still some level of relationship there, even if it's a fraught one. Mm-hmm. This is so challenging because I think Jesus was pretty chummy with some tax collectors, you know, like Jesus is turning logic on its ear. Gentiles and tax collectors were Jesus's peeps, but they are places that are throwing us into a frightful edge of relationship, not normal relationship with uh, folks to get along with, but perhaps really pushing us to the edge of who you might be allies with, (laughs) really like um, stretching our ability to be, you know, like Jesus, to be self-emptying and canonic, to bring it back to creation here, to really make the kind of changes we make. Because we got in the situation, 
by being good friends with our friends and good neighbors with our close neighbors, um, with people like us, people that we draw inside our own circles. And that might be the one scary gift of a climate crisis is that it is forcing us to rethink what our national lines Hmm. who pay for these crises. If (laughs) the industrialized world made all the pollution, why should developing nations have to pay for it? This should push us to rethink why are our moral boundaries stopping where they stop. Still got to keep thinking about it. I like got some family. <laughs> like you have relatives. So maybe Jesus is wanting us to consider our uncle and auntie tax collector here. Well, and Matthew was a tax collector and this is from Matthew. So that's also kind of, I, I was, that didn't go unnoticed on me. I was like, hmm. Perhaps it's less about the humanness of the relationships and more about the social status that comes with those things. And so depending on where we are all socially located, we have different levels of privilege and different levels of responsibility for bringing it back to creation, care, climate change work. If we're thinking about relationship in those structures, maybe that can be a frame that we think about it in. I wasn't going to say anything that profound. (laughs) What I was just going to say is that blasphemous to bring up the chosen the series. <laughs> I can't help but think of what Jesus's relationship was with Matthew in that show and how they understood it. And supposedly all these other faith leaders are involved in the production of that show. So I was just thinking about that, like, whether they really think of Matthew as a tax collector and the way they portray him is that he's this fumbling person, stuttering person that wants to do good, but knows the rules of what has to be done it just shows a whole different side of who Matthew is from what you just read in this small little gospel that we have I love that show I don't think it's blasphemous and I love how they portray him kind of having OCD a little bit and I think sometimes things that we think of as maybe not a good thing can actually be a very valuable thing right if I was worried about like somebody being my accountant, kind of like tax collectors worth of money, right? I would want them to have OCD because I'd want to make sure I didn't get in trouble or make, you know, make a mistake. I'd want them to check it 15 times and be like, yep, you're clear or whatever. (laughs) And I wonder how we might think of what gifts other people have. Going back to this thing you said earlier, Katie, about maybe I'm not called to be the prophet. And maybe it's not my responsibility to tell everybody else what to do. Maybe my gift is this other thing. And so it's like where your gifts are and the world's needs or your community's needs meet. That's the work that you're called to do, right? I love the quote about where it says, where two or three are gathered. I often find it's so comforting to remember that when like I am praying at a protest or like if I feel like there's something like that, I can always remember that we're together in this and Jesus is here among us or with us. Where do you see Jesus among us in this work, in the work of creation care, in the work of echo justice in the work of racial reconciliation? Is it a wrong answer to say everywhere? (laughs) For me, I find in the work that I do that I am surprised by all the places that love shows up. Hmm. I work in interfaith spaces frequently, so I'm not always exclusively in Christian spaces. And I, so I'm careful not to say, maybe to use more expansive language in the way that I feel a particular relationship to Jesus. I feel that sense of spirit, love and community present in so many spaces, whether that is in advocacy and action spaces, or when it's we're out together planting trees, or even just sitting with having a cup of coffee with somebody, hearing about their work that they're trying to do to make the world a better place. I think God shows up in and in between all those moments. 
I travel a lot. And so I'm on the road a lot. And even just ending my day often with like a sparkling sunset over my local river here is a frequent opportunity. And I often think about those moments too, um, as God showing up. So I think that God and love are present and we're just not maybe in the habit of looking for that as frequently. Sometimes I think about Jesus showing up if we think about the different times in his life. Sometimes Jesus, you know, when he was on the cross was very vulnerable. And sometimes I see Jesus in the vulnerable folks who are getting crucified, you know, in their destruction of their land or their way of life. And then sometimes I see it in like the Eucharist that happen at these protests. If anything, if you're ever at a protest for something and something happens, people are so supportive, you know, like this is years ago, but it was at WTO protest in Seattle. And I remember we were all talking about how hungry we were. And all of a sudden, just down the road, there was food, not bombs. And they were just passing out stuff. And, you know, I was like, I was hungry. And they just gave me this bowl of like vegetarian chili. And it was so yummy. And it just filled me up. And, you know, like whatever you needed, if you thirsty, somebody have water. It was so like this feeding the 5,000 moment, which I know is not the lectionary we're talking about. But you can see Jesus in that space. And then, of course, in the relationships, which is what Jesus was doing all the time. There's this quote by um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer that says, the one that only loves community ends up destroying community, but in a crisis, the one that loves brethren, sister, and siblings builds community. I'm reminded that in like small C corporate crises that Jesus shows up by not losing the vulnerable, the individual in the midst of that. That's a deep kind of love for me that I see Jesus saying you're never alone and that, yeah, the interests of the still small person and they're still small listening to the voice of God is still that one sheep is really important to Jesus all the time. Yeah. Where do you find Jesus in this work that you do, especially maybe in the work that's happening in the water situation right now? Lately, it's been feeling like I need to pray for Jesus's presence in this moment. I think we don't take time out to do that. We're just so involved with what it's going to do to us, what it's, what's going to happen to us, our families, what it's going to do to the communities that go, come from way far away to get their water, because that's what it is. It's a water well for the community, the people as far away as Aneth, about three hour, four hour drive that all around come and get the water there. And I think that's what... Um, is lacking is that Jesus where are you where are you in the midst of all of this hmm. so at the beginning of the gospel Jesus talks about gathering support and witnesses or allies if you aren't listening to where have you found allies or witnesses in this work that you do especially any unusual ones this has been a great blessing to kind of walk the creation care road with our church because I think one might assume that this is something for the natural environmentalist, you know, folks, but everybody has a wound mm. that's sort of connected to creation care, no matter where you are, where you're from, how you live. And so everybody's very surprising. You know, the parish that's in the middle of the Bronx, that's like suddenly realizing they got to move that bus depot because all the kids have asthma. Mm. It could be the red state uh, cattle farmers who might not like the words like environment, but they love like they love their cows. They love land. They love being a good steward. And so 
there's a commonality and a unity once we get past sort of who we think is supposed to be in our circle. Hmm. Even just my own journey of bringing together both my love for the environment and faith spaces has felt like unlikely. Hmm. <laughs> the idea that the Episcopal Church and I got the opportunity to go to COP27 last year as part of the Episcopal Church delegation, like the idea that we can intersect those two worlds together isn't something I really grew up with. And so I constantly find myself surrounded by the most unlikely of allies, right? Being able to show up in those spaces as my full self, queer, immigrant, and not have to tone down those parts of me to care about this work and to still say, yes, faith is important to me. I want to walk in the way of love and I want to be part of this movement to healing God's world. I would say that, yeah, for me, the idea that the church could be an ally in this work was unlikely, but yet here I am and exploring that. So that's a gift. One of the things that I was thinking about, I think it was the Dakota Access Pipeline by Standing Rock, you know, the traditional folks and the Christians don't always get along so well. I mean, most of us kind of are walk kind of in that middle space between the two, but usually people lean one way or the other. And that was an interesting community of people that came together and the church responded when they made the call, especially the Episcopal Church, along with others. But you could see that, I guess it's not an uncommon ally, but then you could see the indigenous people from all over the world coming there, like not just the Dakota Lakota people, but there was like Sami from Norway or wherever they're from, like way out there. And you had people from New Zealand and, you know, just all of this folks can see the connectedness and how valuable or important it was. Believe it or not, this is not the first time that this aquifer we're talking about is, has been threatened, happened years ago. And we had the help of our presiding bishop, then Catherine Drifford Shorey, all she did was she wrote a letter, and there was this all this hush-hush. They were just pushing the papers forward, the corporation, I mean, and they didn't even have a meeting about it. They were just going to settle it silently. And so it was a good thing everyone found out before that happened. What we had was Bishop Catherine write a letter, and that struck fear into this company. So I don't know if that's going to have the same effect, but having our relationship with the Episcopal Church is probably really going to help us in this. And I see, I always know that my church is my ally. I love this church. I, I love all that it's given me. And I know there's a lot of families out there that are really hurt by this church and really suffered a lot from the church in the beginning of the missionary boarding school era and all that. And they tell me that all the time. I'm like, why are you a priest in this church when when they did all this to us as as Native people and practically taking away all our culture and all this and you're a priest in it. Why? Why are you? And I don't know what to say. I It clothed me. It took care of me. And I love the church. I love the Episcopal Church. And I still do. And I'll still stand by that. I've had people ask me that same question, Kathleen. And I I struggle with it, especially after some of the more recent things. And I usually think of the story of the prodigal son. I know that's not the lectionary, but I think about like the Western part of the church that was tied up in empires, kind of like the son that left. And then there was like the authentic church that was trying to have community that was there and present. And then I also think about, and this isn't true for y'all, but like 
the story during the Dakota conflict in 1862, where it was our church, the Bishop Whipple that ruled all the way down to President Lincoln and said that these people needed to have a new trial. And he saved the lives of hundreds of Native people and prevented them from dying. And he actually got beat up by the white folks in the town because they were mad at him for his ministry with our folks. So there are people who stand up who were powerful allies for us, I think, in this work. We have made this commitment as a church to doing reconciliation, becoming beloved community. I'm going to use the other R word, reparations. And (laughs) (laughs) creation care is not exempt. It's not other than that. Hmm. Paul said it in Rome's love does no wrong to a neighbor. And when we show that labyrinth, the becoming beloved community way, we repair harms. We tell an honest truth. That's exactly There are no different steps to doing reconciliation in creation care. It is one and the same with our commitments to racial justice and equity. It is about repairing this way of love. Andy Thompson, another uh, great Episcopal volunteer, a teacher at Suwannee, just wrote a new book called um, Reconsider the Lilies. And it's got a whole chapter on how a lot of church folks are thinking about environmental reparations and repair and we're not doing love of god in the world unless we are righting the wrongs of what colonialism and racism and industry have done to the earth and how they harm our siblings and so this is just yet another invitation to be in that labyrinth to walk that becoming beloved community way and to hold creation as part of our commitment So what tips do you have or ideas do you have for preaching this lectionary? Can I offer a hack first? Yeah. One thing that people don't realize with the season of creation for the ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church, and TEC, the Episcopal Church, we are committed. We're sponsors and partners of it, and it has its own lectionary freedom. So if this isn't the lectionary you want... For the whole season, you can just tell your bishop (laughs) that you have the right to pick and choose. (laughs) That said, that would be a hack and not a tip, but um, yeah. One thing that I find particularly powerful, and maybe this is less about specifically preaching a lectionary in the context in which you do it, but bringing creation, like if that's going to be a focus or part of your work or your sermon or the liturgy, bringing things into the space that help people to resonate with that message. So maybe Mm. there's a community garden project that your community is working on and consider having a food display instead of the typical flower display that is in your sanctuary, allowing the space itself to help provide part of the actual sermon. I think that spaces are powerful and how we set up spaces. We often assume a space to be sacred, especially if it's a place where we frequently gather. So taking a little bit of time to intentionally think about the way that a space is laid out, the things that are in that space can help to tell or move a congregation or community in a particular way. That makes me think about what we could do here as the Nebuchadnezzar Nevoland. We really, really hold corn as sacred to us. We use khadidin, corn pollen, in our morning prayers that we're supposed to give as offerings to the earth. And I'm just thinking how to incorporate that 
essence back into church. And they automatically thinking of putting some corn stalks in front of the altar as a reminder of this, as a reminder of who we are as people, because we really, really believe that we are corn stalks ourselves. We bless ourselves from the foot to the top when we're blessing ourselves with anything, smudging, smoke, cedar smoke, corn pollen. We, we do that that way. And that would be a really, really great reminder to this community. And as a tip, I was thinking about our blessing way prayer that was written by a Roman Catholic priest and a medicine man, if you can believe that. And if you hear the words, uh, I don't really know it in English very well. <laughs> I only know it in Navajo, the Nath language. And most of the essence of it is your relationship back with creation, your relationship back with Jesus, your relationship back with being cornstalk, corn pollen life, corn path life, all that. You always hear Cornelia talk about that. Just that prayer is something maybe other churches could look at because it's very well known. I think it's on our ACN website or somewhere. But if you don't have, if you can't find it, you just let me know and I can email it to you and see what you think of it. At some of our churches, we'll make our own Eucharist bread. And like, what would it be like if you combine some of whole wheat flour with a bunch of cornmeal to make the Eucharist bread? So that way it's like mm-hmm. present in there, reminding you of what that's like. One time for a sermon, we did, this was in Minnesota, so it's different, like we have different plants, but we did it with wild rice, which is one of the sacred foods that they have. And so we combined and made our own Eucharist bread with wild rice. And the sermon was Bert Whitcomb from Minnesota. He came and he like, we ground the wheat berries up and put the wild rice in there. So we made the Eucharist bread as part of the sermon, just talking about connection to the earth and all this stuff. It was so beautiful. And that was the bread that we used for the Eucharist that day. It was so neat because he could do it that fast. I mean, I think it was like a 20 minutes or something that it took for us to do that. In preaching, I heard a, a lot of conversation today about relationships. And I would probably, if I were going to preach, would maybe like try and point you toward the gospel and think about what needs to be loosed, what needs to be bound, what are we bound to maybe that we shouldn't be. And then also thinking about where do you find Jesus or where do we need to find Jesus? Where do we need to be the two or three that are gathered? What might that look like? Of course, I think we have enough substance here to preach on almost any of the things. So thank you so much for being here, being guests, sharing your wisdom and your stories and all of it with us today. Thank you so much. If you want to learn more about Beloved Community, visit episcopalchurch.org forward slash beloved hyphen community. If you want to learn more about creation care, visit episcopalchurch.org forward slash creation hyphen care. Thanks to our guests, Katie, Kathleena, and Melanie. Thanks also to our production team, especially Chris and Asma. If you experience growth in your heart today, please rate, review, and of course, share our podcast. Until next time, let your light shine. You're invited to join thousands of Episcopalians, neighbors, and friends this summer at the Love Always Revival at the KFC Yum Center in Louisville, Kentucky. On Saturday, June 22nd, get immersed in inspiring worship and community, deepen your love for God, kick off the 81st General Convention, and extend a warm welcome to folks discovering the Episcopal Church. The revival is free to attend, so bring your friends. 
If you're from a neighboring diocese, check in with your diocesan revival champion to find out about group travel options. You can find more information along with registration at iam.ec lovealways.